You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that air. So I guess today is kind of random news and notesy. I guess, I don't know if that's the right way to put it. That's just my general way of saying it's kind of random. It's not really news and notes, though. I had a thought that I wanted to discuss in re- regard to, um, I think, a way that maybe we're thinking wrongly about the combine and some of the results and maybe some of the limitations of what RAS is telling us. Not that it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. But I think there's a problem with seeing that as the be-all, end-all for being ideal, right? In terms of the best athletes are the ones that have the highest relative athletic score. And I want to call it what it actually is, which is best athletic traits based on how big and fat you are, which is hugely important because it's, I mean, it's relative athleticism. But I I guess I just want to discuss the actual usefulness of that and maybe some of the, again, the limitations. There's also a few hypotheticals, some, you know, Odell Beckham's cropping up again. So I will re-explain my thoughts on that. Some draft hypotheticals. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation about people that might be falling, people that might be rising. The different ways that, um, just in general, this draft might be shaking out. I mentioned how if you had everybody put together a list of people that won't make it to 30, there's going to be a much bigger list than 29 people, which really just goes to prove the point that in general, the internet as a whole sees way more than 29 players that are in the top 29, meaning somebody that we think can't be there might be there. And so understanding kind of the direction that the draft is going and who's rising, who's falling, what categories, what positions are rising and falling um, is going to have a pretty big impact of what we could potentially expect in the upcoming draft. Anyhow, thank you all for joining in. I hope you'll consider uh, jumping in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group and the Facebook page. If you appreciate the show, I would greatly appreciate a five-star iTunes review. If you don't have or use iTunes, a Stitcher review will do just fine. And patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to financially support the show, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. We do giveaways every month, and I think I've just decided this month what I'm going to do will be a year-long PFF Edge subscription. Not the Elite, but the Edge. So you're going to get the gigantic 2020 draft guide. You're going to be able to see player grades. There's a whole bunch of fantasy football information, premium content. And so that will be the March giveaway. And so please consider jumping in on uh, Patreon. Again, you can jump in for as little as a buck for a chance to get a PFF Edge subscription. And again, to support the show. 
And I should also mention, um, we always have to have a goal to reach. I, I don't know what the upper limit is on how many people are going to support the show, so let's just say 125 instead of 150. Usually I'm jumping up in 50 increments. So we need 23 more subscribers for that to be the giveaway. If not, I will find a lesser subscription to give away, I guess is how that works. Sound good? Good. Let's take a break and talk about some stuff. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So let's start with this RAS thing. And I think the biggest thing that needs to be inserted in here, I guess would be considered the law of diminishing returns. That is to say, at some point, and I've talked about this with 40 time, it doesn't super matter the more you go in that direction as, as a positive or a negative for that matter. All right, Quintez Cephas ran like a 4.75. If he runs a 4.8, how much worse is that? It, it's kind of just to the point where it's like, dude, you're just slow. And if I'm drafting you, it's because you're really, really good and can overcome this horrifically slow 40 time. Similarly, as I said, if somebody runs a 4.25 compared to a 4.2, is there really any difference? Now, is there a difference between a uh, 4.5 and a 4.45? I think there's a bigger difference in that. In other words, as you go every tenth of a second, there are certain parts, and maybe you can even put these into tiers, where you cross that tier into from, from let's say, the 4.7s and the 4.6s, in which you look at it and go, this is not great. Or you could say 4.75-ish is when you say this is undraftable. You get into the 4.6s and it's slow, but possibly doable, depending on what else is out there. Then you get into the 4.5s and it's pretty average. You get into the 4.4s and it's pretty fast. You get into the 4.3s and it's blazing fast. You get into the 4.2s and it's still blazing fast. And you get into the 4.1s and it's still blazing fast. Now, it's, it's not that it doesn't get any better, but the how much better per hundredth of a second goes down. Law of diminishing returns. The more it goes in that direction, the less it matters. And I think you can do this with everything, right? If there's a guy that, you know, if you've got a wide receiver that puts up 25 reps on the bench, he's super strong. What if he puts up 35 reps? Who cares? I mean, the bench is overall who cares anyways. But the point is, he's really strong and he's a gym rat. And if you want a guy that's big and bulky and strong, 
you know, the difference between 10 and 20 and 20 and 30 are massively different. It's still 10 reps, but the difference in 10 and 20 is a guy that's not very strong, doesn't have very, very much upper body strength than a guy that's super strong, works hard, has a lot of upper body strength and puts in the work in the gym. Between 20 and 30, though, it's kind of, I mean, wow, even stronger, but still, you still do the job. And this this all kind of came up when I was listening to one of the draft shows and they were talking about Mr. Mecky Becton, which I know is not how you say his name. I'm trying as hard as I can to not say his name correctly because it is a travesty that a man with the name of Mecky Becton, we're going to call him Mackay Becton. What a waste of a beautifully amazing name. But they're going on and on about how amazing it is that a 375 or 370 pound man, whatever, let's get this straight here, a six foot seven, 364 pound man ran a 5-1. Now this isn't the greatest example because a 5-1 isn't slow. But we, we got to understand, these are separate categories. What RAS does is it meshes them together to give you how much, it, it's almost like a freak score. And he's absolutely a freak to be that big and that massive and to run at that speed because it's just not expected but at the end of the day he's 364 and he runs a 5-1 those are two separate categories I think weight is is one of those things that is a law of diminishing returns kind of a thing now if you could have a 900 pound tackle that ran a 5-1 would you prefer that over 364 probably because it's harder to move a 900 pound guy than a 364 pound guy but the fact of the matter is once you get to about 320 pounds you're really big so we're talking about 44 pounds of weight that kind of just, meh. I mean, I get it. You're big. And then the 40 time is just the 40 time. 5-1 doesn't become a 4-8 just because he's 364 pounds. 5-1 is always going to be 5-1. And so let's just say, for example, let's use a real life example. Let's say that you've got a guy, in, there's a play in the NFL right now. Your job is to get up to the next level and get to a linebacker, and that linebacker has got a beat on it, and the only way you're going to get there is if you have 4'9 speed. Now, again, this is a bad example because 5'1 is actually pretty fast, but let's just say most tackles can't get there. Is Mecky Becton going to get there? No, he can't. He physically can't because he runs a 5'1", and the fact that he's 364 pounds doesn't help the fact that he runs a 5'1", and that's kind of what RAS assumes. It's a 5-1, but it's better than a 5-1 because he's 364. No, it's not. It's just a 5-1. That's it. It's not any faster than that. And so to, to take Mecky Becton out of this and to use a different example, a guy that was 700 pounds and ran a 5-7 would have a really high RAS score but would be useless in the NFL because 700 pounds is 400 pounds of who cares. And he's 0. .3, .4 seconds slower than I would like in a tackle. So at some point, it, it doesn't really matter. And we got to break them up into categories and just say, how beneficial is this? Mackey Becton is absolutely a freak. Not trying to dog him. I think he's going to be a you know, fine tackle. I don't know. I haven't actually watched him, but I'm, I'm not trying to say anything negative about him. I just want to make sure that we don't go down this rabbit hole of just looking at RAS and going, dude, he had like a 9-9. He's a freak. Super athletic. Okay, but he's 364 runs a 5-1. That's what he is. And what is the benefit of being 364 compared to being 334? Not a whole lot. There's not a whole lot extra difference. Now, you get down into the, you know, two. if you're 300 pounds, you're kind of a lighter, smaller guy or sub-300. We, we're concerned, right? The difference between 295 and 305 is a bigger, way bigger difference than 350 and 360. There's almost no difference between 350 and 360, so he's got unnecessary weight. But that's all being factored in. Does this make sense? 
So if, if I were to tweak RAS in any kind of way, I would implement the law of diminishing returns. That is to say, it's not that there's no difference between 350 and 360, but it's it's a it, it matters much less. At some point with every pound that you put on, I care even less. So again, I'm not dogging Mechie back then. I'm not dogging RAS. I just want to make sure that we're looking at this in its proper context. Each category is its own category. All right, if you've got this running back that is, you know, 285 pounds and he runs his three cone in 7.2 seconds that as far as RAS might be really really impressive but what does it actually tell us about his agility it's not that good it might be good relative to his weight but that's useless information to me it is a static score you need to be this much athletic you need to be this big agility and you're not yeah but he's fat so what you get what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. Now, when somebody's really big and really agile at the same time, that's especially impressive, but only because they're covering two categories, individual categories at the same time, because usually you're either small and agile or big and strong and powerful, but not agile. If you can be both, then we can start getting excited. You know, Jonathan Taylor is big. That's good by itself. Jonathan Taylor is fast. That's good by itself. Jonathan Taylor, you know, ran a... a 424 short shuttle that's good by itself you put all of them together though and it's really impressive but really what we're focused on is the fact of the individual categories how well does he do in each individual category and the fact that he covers a lot of these categories all at the same time embodied into one guy you know kind of like when you build the perfect quarterback the arm of so-and-so and and the legs of this guy and the brain of, of manning or whatever the arm of rogers and the legs of lamar jackson We're not saying I want him to have the legs of Ben Roethlisberger, but I want my quarterback to be 900 pounds. Could you imagine a guy that was 900 pounds but ran as fast as Ben Roethlisberger? Like, that would be interesting, and that would be crazy, and it would probably go in a book somewhere. But it's still not really fast, though, right? I mean, I'm I'm beating this to death, but I, I just want you to understand what I'm talking about. And again, the big part of the reason is people tend to get carried away with relative athleticism whether it's strictly ras or just the fact that super impressive that he did this considering this right he's really fast for a guy with one leg okay but he's not fast yeah but he has one leg that that doesn't help me make make the decision to put him on my football team do you understand that see how fast you would run with one leg okay we're done with this conversation thank you very much anyways moving on there was a question from todd in the facebook group again this is kind of a question where there's an easy answer but i I tend to like to elaborate, if you haven't noticed. Here is the post in its full glory. Post-combine, as many non-receivers shoot up the chart, and it looks as if maybe either Lamb or Judy will be available in the top 14 or 15. Do the Packers consider trading up this and next year's first-rounders to move up to 14? Tampa Bay doesn't need a wide receiver to take, take, say, Judy, once thought to be the consensus number one wide receiver, and top 5-6 pick. So let's start with the easy part first and say, no, I'm not going to trade two first-round picks for Jerry Judy. I think part of the reason people will get excited about that is the idea that it's sort of the draft hype, right? And with draft hype, we pretend we know stuff because everybody says that we know stuff. We know Joe Burrow is going to be a great quarterback. We know Chase Young is going to be a great, you know, edge rusher. And we know Jerry Judy is going to be Odell Beckham, which, to be completely honest, I have mixed feelings on even then, how impressive that is. The fact is, we don't know that. And in general, if you're going to trade away a first-round pick, um, 
it had better be something revolutionary. And in this case, I think even in a different draft class, you don't make that kind of a decision. But especially this year with this many wide receivers. But that kind of takes us to the other part of what he's talking about. I think he's right. I think the way that the offensive tackles, including Mackie Becton, ran and did their agility drills and everything else, there's going to be a lot of them that go. And so you figure in the top 29 now, we can at least 100% assume four tackles are gone. Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Mecky Becton, Andrew Thomas. Maybe you could argue Wills might not, depending on if it's true the argument that he might be getting kicked inside, which I don't, I don't actually think that's going to happen, but it is interesting, and I'd be curious if that happens because I've never heard of that before. If you didn't hear that episode, the idea was not that he's not big enough to be a tackle, which is usually the, the issue. He doesn't have long enough arms, which is usually nonsense anyways. Apparently the issue with Wills is that he's not super good at processing information and that left tackles need to be super intelligent and that apparently guards don't. I don't know. And so he'll get kicked inside, I whatever. But there are other tackles that have the opportunity to go before the Packers pick. Lucas Niang, Josh Jones. So there, there could be six. Austin Jackson possibly, seven. And this is just tackles. And of course the obvious thing to be stated here is that for every player that gets taken another player doesn't get taken how's that for brilliant thinking but if we take a tackle that was in the second round put him in the first round we have to push somebody else back and so then we include chase young we include joe burrow we include Derek brown jeff akuda tua isaiah simmons christian fulton absolute freak uh herbert the running backs may have pushed themselves back into the first round if they were ever out, especially um, Jonathan Taylor. And so essentially what that's going to do is push some people down. And unfortunately, I, I tend to think the linebackers are also going to be gone, Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen, because they looked really, really good. And so, you know, especially if we're talking, as as uh, Todd said, in the first, let's say, top 10, it is possible that none of these wide receivers go. And, and the other thing is you look at a team and you say, okay, but they're going to take a wide receiver. Well, not necessarily, because as the wide receivers go, you realize that that means that there's going to be even better wide receivers available later, which makes it less likely that you take a wide receiver now, and it becomes sort of this circular, cyclical thing. With every wide receiver that doesn't go, more wide receivers become later in my next pick. And so you think about the Raiders. Well, they're, you're not going to go past the Raiders without them taking Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb. Well, maybe not, but they've got another first-round pick. If if Ceedee Lamb is available beyond the if Jerry Judy and C, Jerry and Ceedee Lamb are available after the Raiders pick, you got to assume at least Henry Ruggs is available by the next Raiders pick. And so now you start to look at other needs. And a lot of teams have a lot of needs that aren't wide receiver. And again, at a, in a deep class like this, it's very possible that a lot of these, especially earlier teams, you know, teams that have multiple picks in the first round or early second round picks are looking at this going, dude, there's going to be so much talent in the early second. Why would you waste a pick on a wide receiver here? And you could also see a drop once CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy go because there's probably a big drop off after that. I know Henry Ruggs is getting a lot of love. I still think there's a bit of a drop. And so you might see something where Henry Ruggs goes early 20s. Maybe he doesn't make it that far, but if he does, oh my goodness. And this goes back to why I wouldn't be on board with trading a first-round pick for Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb, because if they fall, everyone else falls, meaning there's a good chance that, you know, I mean, we, we got to see with Henry Ruggs. The, the speed it speaks for itself, but what do teams think about the other attributes? I know he's seen as a better route runner as John Ross and all that stuff. 
and he's probably not going to make it, but teams have to believe that he's going to be a wide receiver. I don't think there's any teams anymore that just look at 40 time as being the be-all, end-all. But even if we assume he's gone, LaVisca Chenault, Jalen Rager, K.J. Hamler, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Denzel Mims, all available for the taking in the first round. Malik Harrison is an option. Malik Harrison did a great job at the Combine, kind of surprised a lot of people. You know, how many great defensive linemen are going to be available? Be available? You know, Ross Blacklock. I've been, you know, I've, I've been very vocal about how much I like Ray, uh, Raekwon Davis. I'm sure he, there's a great chance he's available. But I've even seen Javon Kinlaw massively fall. Uh, he's not my favorite, but after that, Ross Blacklock, uh, Jordan Elliott. So many really impressive players that are going to be available and for that reason I'm, I'm i'm not interested in in trading up if anything depending on how much everybody's falling you could definitely consider a trade back it might be too drastic of a trade back but i mean you could even look at seattle having two picks late second round picks but still two pick i don't know if i'd super be on board with that but imagine having three second round picks with all this wide receiver linebacker tight end defensive line talent or even if you didn't want to do that, we could trade back with the Chargers, who have the fifth pick in the second round, and get another fourth-round pick out of it. Whatever. I mean, the, the point is, I just think there's too much talent to really trade up. Now, it, I should quantify that and say I'm not going to trade up that far. I'm not going to give up a first-round pick for anybody in this draft class. I mean, of, of, of anybody that could be... I'm, I'm not doing that for Isaiah Simmons if he makes it to 12. There's just nobody I'm doing that for. And I know a lot of people would disagree. I'm I'm much too much I'm too much of a Ted Thompsonite to do something like that. To put that much on one player. Now, something to consider as far as a trade up is that with these players sliding, it is possible we trade up and grab one of them. What if T. Higgins falls? And I'm not even saying he's my favorite guy, but I know he's consensus number three. Most people really like him. Obviously he's exactly what the Packers want as far as trying they've been trying desperately to get speed on the outside not just finding a player but speed on the outside Higgins is that guy now if he's there at 20 I think that's the furthest we could let him fall because Philadelphia would take him in a heartbeat so we'd have to jump Philadelphia and go up to 20 that's going to cost us our second round pick and I, I just don't know if I'm willing to do that but that would be the option that would be sort of the the ceiling as far as what we could do as far as moving up and if we want to kick the can down the road, we could offer him next year's second-round pick, possibly. Because we're kind of overpaying with the second-round pick anyways. But as far as would I be on board with that, I just don't think so. Because we're, we're giving up our linebacker for that. When we know there's a good chance Jalen Rager is going to be available. And then beyond that, if you start talking about what, what would a third-round pick get us, it would move us from about 30 to maybe 24. The problem is 24 is the New Orleans Saints. They're not going to give us their spot because if there's a wide receiver they're going to take him maybe we could jump him go give up a third round pick and move up with new england but again we're talking about giving up all this stuff a third we're going to give up a third which could be a linebacker which could be a tight end which could be you know whatever there's still talent in that third round to move up and get a player that number one could be there when we pick and number two even if they're not there's so many options and then a fourth round pick hardly does anything it moves us up maybe two or three spots there's just no reason to do that. The only reason I way I could see that happening is if we maybe try to trade with Seattle in front of Baltimore if there's a linebacker available because I don't think they get past Baltimore. So if Kenneth Murray were available at 27, I would expect the Packers to pick up and call 
Seattle and beg for a deal. We'd probably give up a fourth-round pick to be able to move up and take Kenneth Murray ahead of Baltimore. But in general, I just don't like the, the trading up scenarios. I like the draft class enough that I like the picks. And if anything, I want more picks, not less picks. So way out on trading a first to get Judy or CD. More or less out on pretty much any trade up. The only one I kind of would be okay with is that fourth round pick to move up and get a guy like Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen if he's the one that's available. And just to be clear, I mean, if, if you actually look at these trade value charts, even the more updated ones, we start talking about, yeah, but we got three six round picks. Why don't we trade those? Because maybe we could jump Baltimore or jump Tennessee, who's at 29. In other words, we could move, we could jump one team if we trade all three of our six round picks. Maybe. They're just not worth anything. So anyways, uh, why don't we take a break, and then I want to talk about possibly trading another second-round pick for Odell Beckham, which is something that's come up already, although the, I think the biggest difference is that there's speculation that it would only cost a second instead of a first, but I will go back into why I don't like this deal necessarily. I don't hate it, just not supremely on board, I guess. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So again, I've been over this already, so I don't want to beat it necessarily to death, but I think the biggest issue is that there's always assumptions. And I've just seen too many times where we've seen the yeah buts, or for example, how many times have we heard, yeah, but he's never had a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers before. And then they come here and they're not better. In fact, they're worse. Talking about a lot of these tight ends that have come over here. Yeah, but now he's got Aaron Rodgers. He's never played with someone like Aaron Rodgers before. Every single time they come to Green Bay, it's the worst they've ever been. Obviously, that doesn't apply to Jimmy Graham, who played with two really good tight ends. But Mercedes Lewis has never seen a tight end before. Martellus Bennett has never They come over here and are terrible. But we just assume that you, you just get to add on to it because Aaron Rodgers. I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. Well, Cleveland. So what? Baker was fine the year before. Well, Eli Manning. He had Eli back when he, I mean, so we know that he's great because of what he did with Eli. And now we're supposed to say, yeah, well, don't worry about the fact that he hasn't been that great since 2016 because he was stuck with Eli. No, sorry, that doesn't play out. 2014, 15, 16, he's one of the best wide receivers in football, no questions asked. 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns, 1,400 yards and 13 touchdowns, 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns. That went to 300 yards and three touchdowns, 1,000 yards and six touchdowns, 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. Now, it's people. oh, that's still impressive. I, I Again, I've been through this. 1,000 yards is not that impressive anymore. There were 25 wide receivers with 1,000 yards. And in fact, more than that, when you consider 16 games, Devontae Adams had 997 in 12 games. Terry McLaurin had 919 in 14 games. So there's really 27 that had as, as impressive of a season from a yardage standpoint as Odell Beckham with a thousand yards basically one receiver on every single team gets a thousand yards it's not that impressive now you want to talk about 13 1400 like he used to get that's impressive 
three wide receivers had 1,300 or more yards. Only three. 1,000? 27 wide receivers got that. So 1,000 yards doesn't mean anything. He hasn't had an impressive yardage total since 2016. Again, 1,300, 1,400, 1,400. Since then, 300, 1,000, 1,000. Touchdowns, 12, 13, 10, down to 3, 6, 4. Two of those years with Eli, one of those years with Baker. I'm not going to assume that everything's just hunky-dory. Everything's fine. He's great. It's just Baker's fault. And in fact, in the last three years, he's had one elite grade. Now, 2017 is somewhat of a wash because he only played 41 or had 41 targets because he only played in four games. But still, I I need assurances that Odell Beckham's going to come over and be 100% Odell Beckham. And again, we do this every year. We got to get Le'Veon because we know Le'Veon is just the best running back in football. No, not one single person one year later thinks Le'Veon is the, 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 the solution to anything. Not one person. We did this with Antonio Brown. We did this with Josh Gordon. We do this every single year where we pretend we know something that we don't know. I mean, we did it last year with Odell Beckham. People are flipping out because John Dorsey's making moves. He went out and got Odell Beckham. What's, what's, what's our guy doing? We should be doing that stuff. We should have gone out and traded for everybody just like John Dorsey did. Well, Odell Beckham did get traded to the Cleveland Browns, and he didn't do jack squat. Well, it's because of Baker. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but maybe not, though. Again, explain 20, 2018 to me with the Giants. 1,000 yards and six touchdowns. Now, beyond that, let's, let's just assume we know 100,000% that Odell Beckham is going to be 2016, 2015, 2014 Odell Beckham. 100% we know that. Well, then it comes down to what is the cost. Number one, he's a head case. Now, he's not as bad as a, a Josh Gordon, but the camaraderie that we've seen in the locker room has been a massive boost for this team. That's a negative. A second-round pick is massive. We're possibly giving up a linebacker. We're giving up our, our stud linebacker, and we're going to go out and get another third-round linebacker because we got Odell Beckham when we didn't need to because we could have just drafted a wide receiver. But, you know, all the really good linebackers are going to be gone in the first round, so we're going to end up taking an offensive tackle, and then we're not going to take anyone, and then we're going to get a third-round linebacker, which is going to be another Oren Burks, and we've done nothing to solve the biggest issue with our team, which even bigger than wide receiver would be the way in which we got gashed by the 49ers by having no ability to stop the run. And that doesn't get fixed because we didn't get a defensive lineman, we didn't get a linebacker that's any good. But we got Odell Beckham. So I'm just saying that's the risk. I want to quantify how important that second-round pick could potentially be. And then the third cost would be the actual cost. Now, in reality, especially with this new CBA, his his cost doesn't bother me as much as it did before when I looked at, look, you can't pay Devontae and Odell this much. But the fact of the matter is you talk about in 2020 paying the guy like $14 million, that's basically nothing. It would be surprising if the guy would even play under this current contract, which is garbage. However, again, I'm not 100% opposed to it. I'm just highlighting the negatives. If Odell is the old-school Odell, if he is still that guy, and we're getting him for you know his base salary for the next four years because that's the length of his contract, that's the contract we're trading for, and he said he wants to come here, so there shouldn't be any issue in terms of him saying, oh, I don't want to go there. So we get him, we get his contract of 14, 14 and a half, 13.75, and 13.75. Which again, with these massive increases in the CBA, that's going to be like paying a guy $8 million. And the other benefit to doing it is that it does cost a second round pick, but you're giving up a 2020 second round pick 
to have Odell in 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, and, and maybe beyond if we extend to beyond that. So it, you, you could say it's short-sighted to say this second-round pick is not only better than Odell Beckham, it's better than four years of Odell Beckham. So I would say it's it's a high-risk thing. However, this this is where I defer to the pro personnel department. If, if I go to my pro personnel department and I say, look, explain the last three years to me, and they're like, look, last year he was a great wide receiver, even though PFF graded him in the 60s, meaning average. Not Baker, although Baker also had a bad grade. Odell had an, had a bad grade. 68.7 was Odell's grade. And, and keep in mind, they take into account bad throws. That's not the wide receiver's fault. But if they go back and say, no, 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 this is the same guy, great receiver, and I talked to Odell's people and he wants to come here and the Browns are willing to do it for a late second, would I pull the trigger? I think I might. And if, But here's the thing. If I do, I better go hard after a guy like Corey Littleton. Because I have to assume now that I'm not going to be able to draft everybody that I once thought. Now, we don't need to go out and get a wide receiver early, so that helps. So now we could look first round. We can look third round, which isn't super ideal. But also, defensive line and linebacker, I'm, I'm now pretty strongly going to have to go in the direction of finding somebody in free agency. And that's going to be tough because, again, we're paying uh, $15 million to Odell Beckham. And that's not that's that's different than what I was talking about before, where you don't actually pay that much. No, that's how much we have to pay unless we give him a new contract. But it's already an additional four years. I can't imagine extending him. What are we going to give him? A, a two-year extension on an already four-year contract to have him locked up for six years so that we can save a little bit of cap room this year? No. And and if we pay him fifteen, we're we're already pretty low. But that's where a David Bakhtiari extension or something like that would come in handy because that would free up, again, about maybe $8 million or something. So it's not impossible. I'm certainly not 100% against it. I just just don't like the general argument that assumes Odell Beckham is 2014 Odell Beckham. We talk about Odell Beckham as though he's 2014, as though 2019 didn't happen, as though he's been a, a, a serious factor in this league since 2016 because he has not. And even then, in 2016, PFF graded him as the ninth highest graded wide... I shouldn't say that, because some of these are... He was the sixth highest, and he was third in yards and fifth in touchdown, which obviously is great. But again, I, I just want to make sure we're clear. We're not talking about a guy that last year was the number one wide receiver in football. We're talking about three seasons ago being the number... Excuse me, four seasons ago being the number, what, five, six wide receiver in football? 2015, he was graded as the 10th best wide receiver in football, 5th in yards, 4th in touchdowns. It was really his rookie year that was his best year. He was 2nd in, in football behind Antonio Brown, in terms of grades anyways. He was 10th in yards and 4th in touchdowns. So again, I'm, I just want to call it what it actually is, and let's be honest about what it is, and then move forward, because we get into these panics, like, dude, Odell Beckham, because it's his name, Odell Beckham. When we just have too many examples of guys that are really, really good at one time that we assume because of their name they're going to continue to be always really, really good, I would need to know definitively why things have fallen off for three years. I want to know why his grade, not his team's grade, not his quarterback's grade, his grade was the 58th overall wide receiver in football in Cleveland. Him. His grades on his route running, on his catching ability, why he was graded 58th overall, getting only 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. He was graded lower than guys like Randall Cobb, James Washington, Adam Humphreys. If you can answer that, and again, don't say 
It's because of the quarterback. The quarterback got his own grade. You tell me why Odell got a grade of 68. If there's a very good reason for it, fine, we'll start talking about a second. But I need to know definitively why it's been three years since this guy was considered a top wide receiver in the game. Not that people haven't been talking about him as the top wide receiver. I'm talking about actual results. Actually, you can show me how he ranked as high as the best in the game. I need to see that. But again, as I've said every single time, and I say every single year, I said the same thing about Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and all this stuff. If it happens, I'm going to be really excited. But if I'm the GM, I'm probably not going to do that. Unless you can give me that information. Because again, a second round pick might be worth it. The, the actual cost of the contract is not bad. And giving up a one year second for four years of Odell. But again, I need to know that this is old school Odell and that that's going to translate for the next four years to our team. If so, it's it's borderline a no-brainer. I just can't assume that. And I just it's a little bit too high risk for me and I covet my second round pick too much in a time in which we really need that second round pick. Also, I, I just... Again, with that plan being we get Odell and then we have to go get Corey Littleton, I don't want to get into this rut where every single player that's any good on this team is somebody we got in free agency because you always overpay for these guys, and they're always too old, and we're, we're building a team up to fail. That's not how you build a team. we we got to be able to do this through the draft. At some level, we have to be able to solve some kind of an issue through the draft. If we can't, then we're not going to succeed. If the only way we can have good players is to overpay in free agency, there's only, I mean, there's a cap limit on how much money we can spend. Our ability to solve problems in the draft, not just getting great players in the first round, but being able to find quality in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round and undrafted free agent, that's how you build a team. If you want to do this once in a while, fine, but I, we can't get into this routine where every single year we solve our biggest problem in free agency because eventually we're just going to keep getting into this problem where next year we have less money and the next year we have even less money and the next year we have even less money and we end up like the Minnesota Vikings. I like that we're more aggressive in free agency, but we can't go too far down this road or this team will break. And instead of, of what we saw under Ted Thompson and, and Wolf of years and years and years of prosperity, it's going to be years and years and years of misery. The way you have sustained success is you continually replace players through the draft with an occasional supplementation here and there as permissible in free agency. And again, going out and saying, let's just get a linebacker and wide receiver in the draft and the best ones and the most expensive ones. It's like, this this is unsustainable. And so again, very long way of saying, I'm just kind of out on that idea. Let somebody else sink that money into him and let's, in the, in the strongest wide receiver class in years, man up, do our job to scout talent and get the right guy. Maybe he's not Odell Beckham, but he's younger, he's cheaper, and he's a quality number two. We don't need Odell Beckham. We have Devontae Adams. We need a solid number two wide receiver. Let's earn those scouting paychecks, and let's go out and get some talent. Anyway, somewhat pivoting off of that, I was listening to uh, Stick to Football, their podcast, and apparently they had confirmed that not only had the Packers met with the top linebackers, which I had mentioned before, but said I didn't know if these were formal meetings or not, they had said that these were not just casual bumping into people. They have officially met with or plan to officially meet with every single top linebacker in this draft. Now, some of that might be hyperbole. There's some that maybe get left out. But they are working really, really hard on linebacker. Which, I, I, so so what can you actually glean from that? I mean, it would be silly to say that means they're definitely going linebacker in the first round. Of course it doesn't mean that. You probably need to do less work if you're taking a linebacker in the first round because there's only a couple guys that you think are willing to that you'd be willing to take in the first round. The way I read this is 
They're very, very serious about solving this problem and finding somebody in the draft and actually getting it right because they've been swinging at linebacker for a very long time and have had no success. They need to get this right. And so we need all the right information because we got to know what is your value so that should we trade up and get somebody, right? Would we be willing to trade up and get this player? At at what value is this person? Because we want to make sure that we get the right guy at the right value and, and, and no matter what, we're getting a quality linebacker. Whether that means trading up, whether that means trading back, take someone in the first round, taking someone in the second round, trading up in the second round, whatever it is, we got to make sure that we know exactly which guys are going to be the ones that can come in and solve this problem. Because it is a problem that if we don't fix, there is a definitive ceiling somewhere below a Super Bowl for this team. And so they're putting in a massive amount of work, which is great. It's great that it means that they're actually taking it very seriously, which there was some speculation that because of comments by Brian Gutekunst, they don't actually care. They're fine with Oren Burks, and they're just going to roll with that. That doesn't seem to be the case, I would guess, especially since we're talking about top linebackers. I would think that we're talking first two rounds, and they're just doing their 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 absolute best due diligence, again, to make sure that whether it's first round, second round, trade up, trade back, we make sure we are in a position to take the right guys. And, and one way or another, we get the right guys so that the right guys end up in Green Bay. So that we don't slip into the third round or fourth round having not solved this problem because we weren't adequately prepared for when guys were going to go, when we should have taken people, what moves we should have made to be able to get the guys that we need. So that's good. I mean, it, it just inspires confidence that they're going to take this seriously. And again, I my speculation on this is a linebacker is going to be taken in the first two rounds, probably the second round. But we'll see. I mean, obviously, if Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen fall or even get within striking distance, you got to wonder if they're um, contemplating going and getting them. And I know there's probably a lot of people saying, no, the Packers just don't do that. First of all, Ted Thompson maybe didn't do that. But again, I don't think it's, it's too small of a sample size. We're looking back over five years and saying, you know, they never took a linebacker. Every year is different. Every year has different things. And yeah, there's been years where we need linebacker and they waited until the fourth round. But that doesn't logically, definitively mean they refuse to take a linebacker in the first. There, there are a billion different circumstances that, that come into play. There's other needs. There's um, your board. Maybe there just isn't a good enough value. Maybe there's one linebacker you think is worth taking in the first round. He's gone at seven. So what are you supposed to do? Take a mid-second round guy with your 30th pick? And then when the Packers don't, you go, oh, see, they just refuse to take linebackers. That's, that's nonsense. They want good players at good value. And if there's a linebacker worthy of a pick at 30, they're going to take it. Anyways, I didn't realize how late it was. That is really wild. I've got to get going. Whoops-a-daisy. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.